Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show, uh, the second half of the Leo Roundtable Show. Um, so great first half, guys. Let's go ahead and start off with a video. This one's on YouTube. The channel is called This Is Butter. Uh, body cam footage released of a deadly police shooting of Charon Lockett while serving a warrant. So we've got uh, another warrant going down. Uh, body camera video has been released of the shootout which a, where a man was shot to death by Houston police while they were attempting to serve him a warrant. So body cam shows the angle of nine different officers who were on the scene when 27-year-old Sharon Lockett was shot and killed by police in front of his family's home. So it happened on February the 7th, and since then, Lockett's family's been raising a lot of questions surrounding his death. Now, if you watch the video, there's really no good angle of the initial, you know, shots, you know, fired. Um, you'll 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 see why I say that when I read what the families where they're going with this. Um, the warrant, uh, which was filed three days before Lockett's death, it was for an aggravated robbery charge, and the alleged robbery happened back in November. So Lockett's family said that they received a call from. This is perplexing. They received a call from police about the warrant less than an hour before they said Lockett was ambushed by police outside his family's home. So I don't know what that's about. The family's accusing the police of firing at Lockett first and plans on filing a federal lawsuit against the officers involved. And here's a quote. And this is, um, I guess it's from uh, Lockett's family attorney. says that in the video footage released by HPD, it shows officers arriving to the scene. You hear gunshots, then you hear more gunshots. And what they want you to think is that the initial gunshots came from Sharon Lockett. So the attorney goes on to say the video does not show Lockett firing any shots. And uh, we got uh, Randall Callanan, another attorney representing the family, uh, said that when officers arrived on the scene that one of them identified themselves as police and that they were in a marked car. And a quote says that it, the video, shows Officer uh, Innocent. Innocencio in an undercover vehicle, not marked, opened his car door, pointed a gun out and shooting. And that was actually a great video, by the way. And not one single officer said, Houston police, police, hands up, nothing. So the Houston Police Department paints a different picture of this. And Chief Troy Finner said that because the officers, um, or before the officer could get out of the car, Lockett shot at them multiple times, causing the officers to return fire. And Lockett's attorney said their client wanted to be a lawyer. He had a master's in criminal justice. According to Lockett's mom, he was studying for the LSAT when he was killed. And here's a quote from the mom. I'll finish. Uh, yeah, David, right. I'll finish on this. My son was a loving person. All he cared about was his family. He took care of everybody. We've never heard that before, have we? All right, so I'm done. We got nine minutes. Uh, go ahead, guys. Uh, whoever wants to start, jump on in. But not everybody at once, please. All right, David. What? You. I, yeah, I, you know, you watch the video, and it's it's just that. I mean, I hate to say, standard, you know, high risk warrant setup. You've got a couple guys on surveillance in an unmarked car watching. The guy get there, come home. He's getting out of his car. They go, all right, now let's go move in. They've got different vehicles coming from different directions. They've got the place covered up, and he starts shooting at them. So, yeah, that's how it went. Um, guys in the cars returned fire. Uh, somebody hit the mark pretty well, and he went down in the doorway. That was it. Um, I, I'm, I'm missing anything else. Just kind of, you know, sorry about sorry that someone lost their life, but that was their choice. I guess he was taking care of his family through his criminal enterprise. So, gee, yeah, and uh, and thank you. I'm on. I'm looking at our, our feeds here. MVS uh, donated support of the show. So thanks, Mike. MVS in Colorado. Thanks for doing that. Appreciate it. You got a thumbs up from producer Will over there. Guys, anybody else in, in reference to this video? 
And uh, I'll tell you, whatever we lacked in camera angles on this video is made up by some other ones that we have. So we got some good stuff coming up. So let's see our next one here, another video. It's on YouTube. This is uh, Butters, the channel again. And, you know, they've really got some great videos on that. This is Butter channel. So we're in Sandy Springs. Uh, the police department there, they released body cam video showing the moment before a man attacked and stabbed an officer. So on Thursday, they released a violent and graphic body cam video showing the moment that this guy, this bad guy, attacked and stabbed the officer back in November. Uh, so police confront this 22-year-old suspect, Matthew Lands, during a home intrusion call, and they did not know at the time that he uh, was also the suspect in the, word, in, in the murder of an Atworth couple uh, the day before. So the body cam video shows the officers, and there's more than one, arriving at the home and the owners telling the police about the man upstairs. So officers, they waited uh, for several minutes at the bottom of the staircase uh, before this guy ends up you know, coming down the stairs. So you don't really get a good view of the guy. You just kind of get parcels of him coming down the staircase. So the officers, hey, uh, come on down, man. And the guy slowly walking down, but not verbally responding to the officer. So once he reaches the bottom of the staircase, the officer lunges at this guy. And you're not really sure why in the first video, the first body cam angle and uh but the man is appears to be raising a knife there's a struggle and a slow motion clip of of the other angle the other body cam from the other officer um it shows the man actually reaching over this one and he stabs the officer in the back of the neck almost like you know like like the jugular he stabs in the back of the neck as he reaches towards the bottom of the staircase so yeah so he he, he reaches out and just and with this free hand does this so the officer survived and in the last update in November, Sandy Springs police said that the officer was doing extremely well, recovering at home with his loved ones. But so the when this thing goes down, the officers, they use their tasers and one ended up shooting Lance, the bad guy, twice, but not right away. And while the injured officer begins to bleed profusely on the carpet. So Lance also survived, remained on the ground, but he continued to struggle with the officers. And the officers are yelling several times as the officer bleeds. And uh, and, and look, if you look at the video, this bad guy's on his back. Officer, the one that got stabs on top of him, and this bad guy is reaching over his back, and he continues to stab the officer. Meanwhile, you've got a cop with a long gun that's a pepper ball gun, less lethal. You know, just looking on, pointing it, but I don't see him unloading anything. But he certainly didn't drop the gun and and jump in or, or use lethal or whatever. Uh, another body cam shows officers carrying lands, dressing camo fatigues out of the house. They do front eight a uh, first aid on the lawn. So. Our bad guy who survived faces dozens of charges in these two incidents. And so in the murder case, uh, two felony murder charges for the killings of Justin Hicks and Amber Hicks. And it, it, the article kind of goes from there, but just a, a, a gut-wrenching video to watch. Um, Dan, why don't you take this one first? We got five minutes. Well, I'll make it quick. I just have to question the judgment of the officers. You notice they hesitate to go upstairs, and I can see why. You don't know if this guy's armed. Uh, you don't know what he's up to. But while he's up there and he's responding, He's giving them verbal responses that don't even make sense. It doesn't make sense why in broad daylight the guy would be upstairs in somebody else's house and remaining calm and just talking in a weird way. Uh, he comes down the stairs. You can see him coming. He's wearing camouflage, head to toe. Another red flag. What's up with this? Um, you know, I, I don't understand the letting him close with you within arm's reach in case he has a knife and he's going to go you know, crazy on you or whatever. I just have to question the officer's judgment on that. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dan. Captain Bartlett. I, I agree. They that got get way too close. But uh, I'll tell you, you know, you ask most cops, uh, if you have to be uh, stabbed or shot, which would you take? And I think most of us go, I'll take the bullet. 
because I've seen some nasty, nasty things. Now, when that guy's underground and he was still trying to give him the knife, it looked like a horror movie. You know, they, all they needed was that movie from Psycho. I, I, I wish, you know, and of course, it's a moving dynamic situation. I wish all those cops had take their gun out, put their muzzle against that guy's bean and, and blown third grade out the other side uh, to stop up. Because studies show, studies show, and, and I've read them, that bad guys who are assaulting cops with knives, when they're shot in the bean, they do not reoffend. <laughs> Oh, that's why, Brett. That's why you're on this show. We just never know what's going to come out of your mouth, and we love we love well, you. For I, that, I always so. try to get scientific, you know. I always, you know, always quote studies. You know, I don't want to. I, I saw I saw that study. It was specifically when you blow third grade out their head. That that was that's what really does it. That's well, that's, that's that, was, that, that does that away a, with the reoffending yeah. thing altogether. That was a DNA thing. Yeah, and yeah. to Dan's point, I'm glad I was waiting for him to say it, but he finally threw up that red flag thing um, that he talked and he talked about it earlier in a previous video where he said why aren't you looking at this guy's hands and all the red flags that he talked about here's this strange guy saying strange things walking slowly down the stairs dressed in a full gigantic bulky camo onesie <laughs> as he comes down the stairs at you um and you're not seeing his hands very well and you're standing right there waiting to give him a hug you know to feel better it's just the whole getting too close thing was was more than I could more than I could bear. And then when they got him outside and started to do try to do first aid on the bad guy, and they're cutting the camo off, he's got the tactical pants underneath that with the knee pads and the whole thing going on. It was, I mean, red flag all over the place. I know they couldn't see that, but still, red flag all over the place that uh, they just didn't react as sharply as they should. So, so Captain Bartlett, if we were going to recreate this scene, would you put Attorney Ward as the bad guy or the cop doing the stabbing or the cop getting stabbed? Where would you put him? Well, I think I'd put him as a bad guy, but I would put him in real tree camouflage, which is not uh, dangerous uh, at all. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're wearing real tree, everybody knows you're just a hunter. It's going to be just fine. But, you know, Chip, uh, I, we saw that video earlier of where the cops ran up and the guy's yelling, She's bleeding out. She's bleeding out. We can pretty much, and I don't, I don't want to use forgiveness, but we can pretty much forgive that cop for looking past that guy to what's going on in the house. But these guys here had plenty of time to plan, and they just let let him get away. They just let it get away from him. Well, even, even just looking at why they were there, the purpose of their, you know, the, 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 the yeah. bad guy. I mean, he was a bona fide bad guy. Uh, I mean, you know, you've got at least what, at, at least, you know, burg at least, bur you know, burglary and, and, and a handful of other charges. So yeah, before yeah, there's, there's, there, there is no excuse for this. None at all. Yeah. And, and as I just wanted to point out one last thing, just in case anybody's listening, um, this this should show you that a knife is just as lethal as a pistol can be just as lethal as a pistol. Oh, now, David, it's funny you should say that we got 30 seconds before the next commercial <laughs> break. Is there is this addressed at anybody in particular on YouTube for instance? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, Mick. I have no idea. None whatsoever. Mick. Okay, that was the guy's name. I was trying to remember that name. Okay, thank you very much. All right. Yeah, that was a great that was a great exchange. The guy, you know, some people have the capacity to get it and some people don't. And I I, I you know, I'm not necessarily talking about IQ levels, but this guy certainly did not have the capacity to get it. And and he was just convinced he was right, no matter anyhow. It was just crazy. Look, it's time for another commercial break. We will be right back.
right, so look, let's talk about how best to watch our show. Now, our live show is every Monday evening at 7 o'clock Eastern time, and you know now we're using StreamYard. So we point the stream, and it's live on uh, YouTube. We're on two Facebook channels, our you know Leo Roundtable one and my personal one. We're on LinkedIn, and we're also on Twitter. Um, so you know all those avenues are available to you to watch the live show. And it, like I said, it's a 90-minute show. Now, producer Will takes that 90-minute show, and he splits it up in the five segments that he uploads to YouTube, and I put on Rumble Tuesday through Saturday. But the difference is, not only are they shorter segments, because they're not the full show, but he embeds the videos that we're talking about, and producer Will puts in the pictures of the good guys and the bad guys. So it really makes for a really cool way to watch the show so please check that out on youtube and rumble tuesday through saturday it's just a, a great option for you and we're also on free press at fp.com with brian burns Right. Well, look, if there's nobody uh, left after the last segment, then I'll go in and jump into a new one then. And I've got an update. It's on policetribune.com. Court overturns a conviction of a cop who shot a caregiver with hands up while trying to shoot an autistic man holding a toy truck. I, I'm, I'm sure you guys remember this, but this is down in Miami. So North Miami uh, police officer Jonathan Alida convicted of shooting an autistic man who he thought was actually holding a gun. It happened back on July the 18th of 2016. So it's been a while. And he shot, uh, I guess it was when 27-year-old Arnaldo Rio Soto, a severely autistic man living in a group home for adults. He wanders away from the facility and he's carrying a shiny silver toy truck. Well, unfortunately, uh, he sits down in the middle of the street to play with his truck and the caregiver, Charles Kinsey, follows him out. But a passerby mistakes the silver, silver toy truck um, for a gun and calls the police and uh and that's what kind of spurred all this stuff happening so it says that officer alita testified at trial that he mistook the scene for a hostage situation and only shot at rios to protect kinsey and the other officers and that was reported by abc news so anyhow uh they overturned the conviction of the cop in that particular case so if there's no comments on that i'll move on to the next one then and well dan i'm not gonna let you off the hook because i saw very briefly you unmuted your mic so go ahead do we know what the distance was on this? Because, you know, having been a range instructor for decades, I still have a problem with the cops who my favorite saying was can't hit a bullet with a banjo. I mean, if you if if you can't hit the we're not talking about dotting somebody's eye here. We're not talking about hitting a buttonhole. If you can't hit the right human you're aiming at, you have no business with a gun. Dan, this guy, this was a SWAT guy. He was a SWAT officer. Even worse. That was that was the startling thing. And what I wanted to bring up, the, the very interesting part about this, and I don't want to take words thunder, um, was that the, the SWAT officer's argument, or the, the reason they overturned the conviction is because they didn't allow the SWAT commander to testify about the training that the SWAT officer had had about hostage situations and what he read the situation was, was that the autistic person was holding the caretaker hostage in the street with the gun, which is why he fired at the autistic person, not knowing who they were or what their relationship was at the time, just as he interpreted the scene when he arrived, which I said, okay, I can see that. But then to your point, Dan, hit the right human, a SWAT officer. Oh, ugh. that was right. just a ugh kind of a thing. Yes. 
Now, now Brett, did, do you think this SWAT officer went to the Israeli school that you went to? Um, no, uh, he probably didn't forward roll like I did all those years ago, and then <laughs> I'm, I'm still paying that. Now, uh, to Dan's point, uh, I'm getting ready to deliver some rifle training for a local agency, and I decided to put it in my in my lesson plan. We prefer that you shoot the correct human because I don't I don't know if we ever brought that up before. We may need to bring that up. We prefer that you shoot the correct human. <laughs> you love it. All right, Ward. On that note, Ward, you got to clean up after Brett. Uh, this officer was not cleared, by the way. They can, he can, he can be, he can be tried again. If if he is, it'd be the third time. I don't I have no idea whether the prosecutors will bring a third case or not. I rather hope they don't. It, it, it sounds like he's got a fairly decent defense. If what he say, if what he's saying is true, is it might be a different issue on a civil matter. But as a criminal matter, it sounds like a fairly decent defense. I suspect that um, they overturned it because they had problems with the verdict and they used the fact that the SWAT trainer wasn't allowed to testify more as an excuse than, than perhaps it really wasn't that critical. Well, thanks. Thanks, Ward. Now, Dan, I want you to unmute your microphone for a second. Um, I was looking at Police One uh, this week. They've got a they've got a whole series of instructions on, on on shooting, how to be a better shot, how to be more effective, all this kind of stuff. And I started thinking, you know, uh, we need to we need to get them to put your at least the questionnaire for your school, you know, on their site because I mean you can you can explain it better than I can, but I I believe that you don't you have a questionnaire, Dan, that people can take um, just to see how well they know firearms. And I know that the, the school you give deals with firearms and ammunition, but don't you have a test they can take? And no matter how confident they may be, um, it, it's really a true test on the gauge on your knowledge. And ultimately, I think it shows people how much they lack and what they can benefit, how much they can benefit from taking, you know, one of your courses. But but tell that's tell them right. about it and how they can find it and take it. Well, that's exactly what it is. If you go to gunlearn.com, our website, there are several places on there where you can click the free quiz. And it's it's just there for amusement. It's not there to capture your email and sell you anything. We don't even respond to them. But it gives you a, as I recall, it's been a while since I took it. I believe there are either 13 or 26 questions because it's either a sample of one or two out of each one of our modules from our actual tests just to give you an idea of what your gun knowledge IQ is. And it's, uh, we, we have people from around the world taking it. I get a copy of everyone who takes it. I see, okay, you know, Larry Smith took it and here was a score. Uh, and we get a dozen or more a day from wherever it's, uh, it's interesting. Anybody who hasn't tried it should give it a shot. So, so my challenge, everybody watching the show, Go to gunlearn.com, and I mean, it's fun just to see where you're at. I mean, please go and just check it out. It doesn't take that long, and uh, <laughs> and and good luck. I mean, it's it's tougher than you think. Yeah. So. Uh -huh. Dan doesn't capture the data or do anything with it, but it's he it's he and his his compadres that they get to chuckle at the answers <laughs> as they look at the stuff. That's why I, I'm not taking that because I know he'd be like, "Oh, you idiot!" <laughs> I know. Dave, I would never say that about you. What are you talking about? All I know, right. not to my not to my face, anyways. Fifteen <laughs> seconds, Brett. Uh, this is years ago. You know, Dan and I reconnected right here on the show, and and uh, I went to the website, took the test with all my gun knowledge in my head, getting ready to spew. And I, after I'm done, I went, "Holy cow!" 
there's a bunch I don't know, but it is it is it is well worth the time to take it because thanks. Thank you, Captain. Appreciate it. I'm trying to read what Dan's holding up, but I, I couldn't get it all in. But uh, uh, he's, he's holding it up again. Oh, gosh, this could be good for already listeners. And now Brett is one of the instructors. That's how much you can improve <laughs> with an exclamation point. Wow. Uh, so, guys, if there's nobody else on the last topic, we'll move to the next main topic. Um, I've got police one. We got Greg freeze here and how two modes of decision-making influence deadly force encounters. Hey guys, time for another commercial break, but we'll be right back. So if you spend time inside an armored vehicle, you know how cluttered that world can be. And the same is true of cruisers. So there's this new product line that's made by Tactote. That's T-A-C-Tote that takes advantage of all that steel. Now, Tactote's products, they allow you to store a variety of gear at an arm's reach using magnetic technology. You can have extra magazines, med kits, less lethal breaching tools, and they all can have a portable magnetic staging solution to name just a few. So, guys, if you're looking to get your patrol cars or your armored vehicles organized and also to be able to deploy faster, check out TAC-Tote. All right, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. Now, Brett, take the floor. You're, you're, I know you really want to talk about it. They were kind enough to send a few of us a, a cool sample. Now, what, what's neat about it, it's a, if you can see, it's a magazine pouch, and I've got three different manufacturer magazines. They all fit. You can put 20, 30, even 40, and they've got an adjustable strap. What's neat about this is, is you don't have to wear all that stuff on your tactical vest, because that, that's all in vogue now. Cops wearing the, the vest and all the stuff on it. And it's got magnets. You can slap this onto the screen between you and the, and the back of your cruiser or up in the in the uh, the lid of your trunk or somewhere in your car. So if you need it, you just grab it, throw it over your shoulder and off you go. You don't have to carry all that stuff with you all the time, but it's it's available when you need it. Now, Brett, do me a favor. Can you hold that that logo up by the camera so they can actually see how Tactote is spelled? And it's yeah, a little closer to the camera. So it's T-A-C, there's a dash, and then T-O-T-E. And, you know, Brett brings up a good point because, you know, like I, I have a go bag, but you know, if I don't have pockets or places to put the ammo, then I simply, if it's just loose the bag, I, it's just going to take me forever to find it. And then in a crisis situation, it's just simply not going to be the best you know, solution. So having your stuff in a stationary location where you know where it's going to be when you need it, that is simply ideal. So thanks, Katha, for sharing that with us. Now, I'm not going to read through the whole article, uh, but it's worth reading. Improving decision-making in high-stress environments such as deadly force encounters, it starts with understanding how neuroscience directs decision-making. And so he kind of explains this during a Police One learning event. Uh, Melise Lamaz Balan, uh, PhD, Harvard-trained, so like kind of like Ward, but on the other side of the spectrum, Harvard-trained neuroscientist with expertise in um, neurobiology of the fight-or-flight system, he detailed two modes of decision-making, the habitual mode and the situational mode. So in the habitual mode, or they also call it the emotional brain, 
That's what makes quick fight or flight decisions when we're under stress. And it goes on to say that this mode of decision making, it biases our decisions toward ending the conflict rather than resolving it. Now, the situational mode, also called the cognitive brain, uh, serves a different purpose, such as making important decisions that involve strategic thinking and also using memory. Don't worry. Will will clean that up for me, God willing. So at any decision point, only one of the modes can be dominant at the time, which is what the problem is. So you cannot have both of them acting at the same time. So David Blake, PhD, retired California police officer and a court certified expert on human factors, uh, psychology and police practices use of force. He provided real world context of the neuroscience presented by Balbon. So it says the limbic system, it tends to take control when we're in an anxious state. And subsequently, we may lose our ability to think analytically. So he explains that anxiety causes stressful situations. It's been correlated in, in uh, I guess, simulation research with mistake of fact shooting. So he's actually saying, I don't know if that correlates to the snipe, the, the, the SWAT sniper guy that we're talking about, you know, David, but it can cause mistake of fact shootings, decrease firearm accuracy and perceptual uh, distortions and motor skill deficits. So maybe it did have something to do with it. I don't know. Unfortunately, law enforcement officers, they don't have the option to freeze or to flee. And instead the job requires leaders to have a situational awareness, use conflict resolution skills in the deescalate potentially violent suspects. So that's where we're at. I don't know what you guys thought about the article. We're going to have it up, uh, Captain, for our users to see it throughout the week. Uh, but go ahead, Captain. You know, I, I read the article and, and had a lot of good information, but I, I don't think they're quite on the mark. It, it's It's been proven over and over by author after author, author that, the more, especially in police work, the more you have habits ingrained in your brain, constructive habits, handling a weapon, handling defensive tactics, uh, uh, things like that the more you're going to be able to leave free the part of your brain to make those cognitive decisions. But if you don't have those habits ingrained, you spend your energy trying to do little things. Here, here's an example, two examples. Years ago, I read a story about a policeman involved in a shooting. And according to witnesses, uh, his gun went down, his gun stopped working, and he's beating on his gun with his fist. Now, we all know that's not going to solve anything. The problem was he had not had that habit of fixing his gun, so it overwhelmed him, and he's looking for a response where he didn't have a trained response. He could not handle a bad guy, much less his own gun. Another story, probably 20 years ago, a, a young lady officer at our department got into a fight with a bad guy. She ended up having a shooting. Witnesses say that she pulled the trigger and her gun quit working, and she did a tap rack and a bang to, to, to kill the guy. To this day, she doesn't have any recollection of doing tap, rack, bang. So there's an example of having your certain habits in your brain ready to go so that you're able to free up the brain for the more cognitive tasks. So the more we train to handle weapons and defensive tactics and do it well, it leaves our brain free to make the higher decisions. So wow, without, that those, without those basic skills, you got nothing. Yeah, that was yeah, great training. Yeah, but uh, to Brett's point, Brett is correct. But he, but the way that I read the article and the way that I, what I took from it is, Brett is simply in agreement with what this guy's saying, just from a, a slightly different perspective. Um, the two things that I took away from the article, again, a good article, was that only one of those brain functions 
works at a time. You can only be in one state or the other, not both at the same time, which is what Brett, what Brett talked about. So if, if you're in that, that flight mode, that, that, that emotional state, your, your brain is not functioning on that more logical cognitive state of what should I be doing in this situation? But he does say in the, at the end of the article, it says that you can learn how to modulate the perception of threats with high fidelity simulation training and how to make better decisions in the situational mode in high stress environments, which is the same thing that Brett, I think it was the same thing that Brett was just explaining just from a PhD's perspective versus a on the ground trainers perspective like Brett. Um, so I, I honestly believe they were saying the same things. Uh, well, and it, it makes perfect I sense. I disagree in that he says both parts of the brain can't be. I disagree. I just told you that story about this young lady officer who was able to fix her gun. How did she do that? The part of her Training. brain was trained, was able to handle it. So her brain's working, but it's it's not on a conscious level. And there's we could get in this whole un unconscious competence matrix. Her brain was doing what she had trained it to do. It was working. So I disagree. You can have the, 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 they call it the lizard brain, depending on where you, you know, you learned all this stuff. Your brain is working on a subconscious level, a train level. At the same time, it's working on a cognitive level and they may not be in cahoots with each other, but they're still working together. So I don't, I don't agree that one has to stop before the other one kicks in. I'll, right. I'll, I'll take the PhD side on it, Brett. Sorry, but I, I still think that you're saying the same thing he's saying, just in a different way. Well, but I, I'm taking my I'm taking my GED side of it. I know. Go ahead, go ahead, Dan. Just quickly, I fully agree with Brett. No disrespect to David, but you know, it's like you're riding in a car. You hit the brakes. Your arm reaches over in front of your kid if it's next to you on the seat. You know, without thinking. Uh, anytime somebody says uh, they're talking about their calendar, their schedule, what's going on, they hold their wrist up like they're looking at the data and their watch. It's just an unconscious uh, muscle memory thing that you don't have to think about. All right. Thank you, Dan. Excellent. All right. Moving along here, then I've got a, a topic and it's going to involve Randy Sutton and the wounded blue as well. I've taken two topics on, on this uh, one thing and it's, it's, Articles are on Police One and also on PoliceTribune.com. I've also got a break coming up in about a minute and a half. But FBI launches a law enforcement suicide data uh, data collection. It says that earlier this year they launched a tool to collect data on police suicides, known as uh, the Law Enforcement Suicide Data Collection. And uh, through the database, departments can report suicides or attempted suicides by their personnel. And it aims to compile national statistics to better understand police suicides, prevent them in the future. And this is according to an FBI uh, press release. And uh, it says that they're actually obligated to collect the data under the Law Enforcement Suicide Data Collection Act. So interesting. And also the second half of this, detective who threatened to shoot co-workers during a PTSD episode fights to keep jobs. So we're in a Louisville and there's a homicide detective threatened to bring in guns to work to shoot several specific sergeants during a post-traumatic stress disorder episode. And he was met by officials at the airport when he returned from treatment and given a pre-termination letter. And uh, Detective Christopher Palombi 
and his wife, Kristen's explaining that he suffered from PTSD. And I think he just got back from a treatment center and the attorney, Thomas Clay is trying to, he says, we want some understanding out of the department that he needs help. Lieutenant Randy, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. You know, um, it's very disturbing. The, um, the fact that this, uh, this officer, uh, it sounds to me like, like this was a mandatory reporting issue that, um, uh, when he was receiving treatment, he made statements that were uh, uh, concerning to the the, uh, the psychologist, psychiatrist. And, uh, you know, let's face it, have we all said things during a time when uh, we were we were emotional that could be looked upon as being really inappropriate? We'll be right back after this commercial break. Look, let's talk radio real quick. Yes, we're nationally syndicated in the radio. It was the Boss Hog Radio Network and the outskirts of Tampa that gave us our first break in the terrestrial radio over the airwaves. So they have got um, four AMs and an FM in Bushnell, Sumter County, all in Florida, Lakeland, Plant City, Winter Haven, Avon Park, and Sebring. So thanks so much to the Boss Hog Radio Network. We're also on WKUL. They have two FMs in Coleman, Alabama, K-Bar in Burley, Idaho, WVMG, that's Nuga Radio in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we are on amfm247.com. And they have internet, but also terrestrials in Tampa Bay, Florida, Las Vegas, Nevada, Macon, Georgia, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Boulder, Colorado, Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, Long Beach, the Villages in Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, and also Washington, D.C. We're also on threeriversbroadcasting.com, backstageradionetwork.com, and centraloregonradio.com. Please check out those sources, especially if you're in the range of those terrestrials. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. The thing is, if 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 this officer truly was a threat to someone else, the the uh, the department has to make some type of of judgment about that about that officer. And you know, uh, post traumatic stress injury is a treatable injury. That's one of the things we work with all the time uh, at the Wounded Blue. And I'm I'm happy to see that there is. Um, uh, an effort, a major effort on the part of the the FBI to collect data, because without the proper data, we can't combat this epidemic of, of law enforcement suicide and attempted suicide that's happening across the country. You know, I can tell you right now, as the founder of the Wounded Blue, uh, an organization that, that helps injured and disabled officers, whether those injuries are physical or emotional and psychological, they're probably more than half of what we deal with uh, are are psychological and emotional injuries. And post-traumatic stress injury is as real as a bullet. So it's something that has to be taken very, very seriously. And we're just in the in the initial stages as, as a profession to really start dealing with it. But I, I urge anybody that's, uh, that's uh, in law enforcement and you're struggling, contact us at thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. And if you want to support these injured disabled officers, Check us out also at thewoundedblue.org. Excellent. Thanks, Lieutenant. All right, guys, if there's nobody else. Oh, David, I just saw you. Go ahead. Yes. Um, I couldn't, I was, I was reading, as I read the article about this uh, detective, um, I couldn't find a specific 
place where it said that where the PTSD episode occurred, where he made these statements, all I could find was that it said um, the incident that led up to his termination occurred during a PTSD episode and he blacked out and has no recollection of it. <clears throat> as much as, as much as I support uh, and believe that PTSD as a um, should be considered by agencies as an on-duty line of injury. It should be taken care of. I support the Wounded Blue and what they do for people in, and officers in these situations. It's very important. But we get back to that, that issue that we've talked about before. If, if this episode, this PTSD episode occurred while he was on duty in the department, in, in the agency somewhere, in, in the office somewhere, and he has an episode, he makes these statements, you know, angry, you know, uh, in an episode and blacked out and doesn't remember it. I, I wish John was here. I know Captain Bartlett from IAB. I'm, I'm telling you, this is one of those instances where an agency has to look at this and say, okay, you're going to go to treatment and, and you hope that they make an investment in this in this detective as being a, a valued member and say, we're going to put in some time and some effort to try to help you and get you right and, and make things better. But at, at some point, I know agencies have to look at this and say, at some point in time, we've got to make a decision about whether or not this guy, this officer, detective, has the ability to be a police officer uh, under these conditions, if this is something that can be taken care of to that point. Um, so it, as difficult as it is, these are those hard decisions that agencies have to make. Um, I want the best for this detective. I want him to be taken care of, and I want him to be um, looked after, uh, whatever it takes. Uh, but from the agency perspective, that's that's a tough thing to 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 have on your role. Good, I good point, Dave. I mean, I I acknowledge that as a cop, even having nothing to do with PTSD, you know, there are things that you can do that would prevent you from being a, staying in law enforcement. There are things you could say and do that would simply, I mean, heck, there's things you could, you could utter certain things about the president and end up in jail by the, you know, by the secret service. So I, I do get it. But with an agency hat on, if you're a chief or a sheriff, I, I admit that you would have to be thinking about liability. You would have to, to do everything in your power uh, representing that agency. And if you're going to keep a guy on the department with a gun that does certain things, even if it's PTSD related. So um, let me let me say one more thing. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. So I agree with it. Um, but if there if this is a legitimate post traumatic stress injury issue, you don't terminate them. You give them a pension, and that is a workers' compensation injury. Unfortunately, there are still many states which do not recognize post traumatic stress disorder or post traumatic stress injury as a legitimate workers' compensation injury, and they just toss them away like an old shoe. That's really, um, that's one of the things we deal with uh, heavily at Wounded Blue. And, and, and Randy, like I said, I agree that the agency owes it to him to do everything they can or what we think they should do for that regard. And this is one of those things, and, and Chip has talked about stuff like this before, where, okay, now you say, all right, he was... He was an active duty in Afghanistan. This is an ex-military guy. His his wife made I think made some comments, or he made some comments about you know a lot of the crap that he brought back from that. He already had PTSD. 
Now he comes into law enforcement. He gets involved with more garbage and there's more load from law enforcement. So how do you, you know, where do you make that, that, that uh, separation where it's okay. It should be the, 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 the U S the feds, the feds should be taking care of this guy. The, the local agency should be taking care of this guy. Who, how do you split that up? How do you assign PTSD values? Well, it's worth this, this percentage from the military, this percentage from the police department. And we have a guy that's broken and we need to try to fix him. How do you do that? And, and that's that difficult scenario that a lot of states, a lot of agencies, a lot of people are still trying to work through. As valid as it is, it's still a work in progress. And that's unfortunate, but it's still a work in progress. All right. Thanks. Hey, what a, we could talk about that topic for hours, I think. So all, all good. Um, let's move on. We've got just a little over um, two and a half minutes here. I'm going to get to uh, another video too, if I can. Uh, YouTube, this is Butter. Body cam video shows police shoot and kill an armed man in Ferguson. Uh, so yes, we're back in Ferguson. St. Louis County Police, they released body cam footage. Multiple agencies dispatched um, dispatched audio from an officer involved shooting in Ferguson in December. Jeremy Moore, 35 years old of St. Louis, pronounced dead at the scene after an exchange of gunfire. According to the investigation, it started when Ferguson cops received a 911 call December 12th, 2021. So just a couple months ago, caller stated that a heavyset black male wearing a white coat flourished um it says flourished a gun at the collar <laughs> okay choice of words uh, two uniform officers from Her ferguson police um operated a motor vehicle uh, or i'm sorry mark car they respond to the area so at 8 33 p.m uh one of the officers spots a suspect he runs behind houses cop does not chase him so a second officer sees him two minutes later he's lying on his stomach outside a home so the officer gets out of her patrol car to investigate and he runs into the backyard so both uh ferguson cops they fall into the backyard and then um i guess just a couple minutes later two shots are fired at the ferguson officers so the body worn body worn cameras um show the they were not activated at the time and so then we kind of jump in time then when more officers end up um responding they set up a perimeter they tell the guy come out um i can see you let me see your hands and then all of a sudden there's gunfire and police said that i guess the suspect fired one shot at the north county police cooperative officers and uh i, I don't know what the cooperative officers are david so the officer returns fire suspect moves back into the front of the house and officers from several departments they close in drop the gun show me your hands while the suspect's lying on the ground and then ems calls in and I guess law enforcement fired 20 rounds, but the guy's pronounced dead. Any comments on that shooting? I know we got about a minute, but uh, any comments on this last one? We got some uh, interesting video. David? Yeah, the, the only thing I will say, other than it's scary, is all get off, uh, lurking around in the dark trying to find this guy, these cops, through the through the, the wooded areas and stuff was spooky. Um, I, I actually liked how St. Louis County did their, their overview of this, this uh, event. They showed where the officers were and they had little lines or little trails to show where they walked and how they all converged together around these houses and stuff. It actually, you could actually watch it and understand what was going on versus some of the other crap we've seen. It was a good job on their part, uh, showing the whole scene, how it, how it came together. Well, th thanks, David. Good shoot, um, of course. Thank you. So we get thumbs up. All right. There's uh, Dan O'Kelly. You got just a few seconds, Dan. Yeah, I'm sure they came up with that software after the last Ferguson riot, after that shooting that, you know, they needed something to prepare for the next time it happened, maybe. Yeah, you're probably right. Thanks so much to the uh, to the panel for being on the show. Thanks for uh, helping us out, Dan, this evening. And also to uh, MVS in Colorado, Mike, for sponsoring the show. 
Thank you to Gauls, Guardian Alliance Technologies, GunLearn.com, MyMedicare.Live, and TacTote.com. Hope everybody has a wonderful and a safe week.